this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 56. We're recording on Friday, June 6th, 2014. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, and I'm here with Jeff O'Neill, and we are the editors of BookRiot.com. Hello, Jeff. Hey, um, this is, we're, it's June. It is June. We're in separate rooms again. I know. Uh, it, I, I still don't know how to how to record the podcast in the same room. I don't know where to look. I know. I don't know where to put my hands. I uh, think it, it only works because we're both equally weirded out by being in the same room. Yeah, it's like it's like we're both in a room with the cadaver, but separately. Right. Like it's Just very weird. In a room together, pretending to not be in a room. <laughs> yeah, and we're together. both looking at our computers and just trying to do the whole thing. But um, we survived Book Expo. We did. You know, I was thinking there wasn't much other news to talk about besides what we um, talked about last yeah, week. It was a pretty quiet week last week, which yeah. I guess tends to happen in books um, around Book Expo time because the reporters are all focusing on what's coming out of Book Expo. And there were no major announcements right. at Book Expo this year. No big surprises. No. Um, we can't report that just that BookCon seems to have gone fairly well. Um, they did sell all 10,000 tickets, which I didn't know that that's how many they were selling. It, it, the photos just looked like the place was swamped. It was swamped. That, the complaints I heard were largely about that. It was just, it was super crowded and... Um, but when you're getting 10,000 people in a place uh, yeah. all at once, and they didn't use the whole the show floor. I know no one cares. But they they closed off part of it. So I think people were sardined in there a little bit. But mm-hmm. by all intents and purposes, from what I saw, it seemed like most people had a good time, yeah, if, if, even if they wished it was a little less crowded. There was the panel devoted to We Need Diverse Books, which is a, uh, the campaign that we had talked about on the show a few times. And the full, unedited audio of that panel is available online. Um, since we didn't attend BookCon, that was like the one piece that I was really interested in how yeah. it went. Um, so we'll drop the link to that in here. It's about an hour long. Um, it's worth a listen uh, to hear these uh, authors and writers discussing uh, what it's like as a person of color in publishing and why there's value in publishing um, stories that are by and about people of color. Um, so that's worth a listen. Uh, before we get into the news, we also want to let you know that there is only about a week left to subscribe to The Riot Read, which is our new take on the monthly book club uh, for 30 bucks a month, which is roughly you know the cost of a new hardcover from your local indie bookstore, plus shipping, uh, plus cool content that we're creating. You'll get one new release that's handpicked by us, uh, that we love, uh, that maybe is flying a little under the radar, but that we want to share with Book Riot readers. Um, If you subscribe by June 15th, you'll receive the first book, which goes out in early July. Uh, It's a surprise. It's a surprise. We can't wait to surprise you with it. It'll be something different every month. Uh, So if that sounds like it's up your alley, you can go to bookriot.com slash riotread to get more information and to subscribe. Yep. And just... uh I can't remember if you just said, but it does include tax and shipping. So 30 bucks all in, it will arrive on your doorstep um, as a surprise every month. And it it will have its own dedicated website, actually. It will. Where all the content, where a dedicated podcast um, 
discussing various parts of the book and have a lot of different kinds of content. So we're excited about that. Yeah. And you can go back a couple of episodes in the podcast feed also. And we did a little interlude discussing the project and why we thought it was fun and worth pursuing. Uh, So you can check that out also. All right. Let's do our first sponsor. Uh, One Man Guy by Michael Barakiva. It's a book. They're back again this week. Um, So it's kind of a light comedy with a seemingly, you know, I, I like that we're getting to this place where an interracial gay love story can be lighthearted to some degree, yes. you know, it's and it not... doesn't have to be just about the fact that it's an interracial gay love story. Right. Yeah. It, it happens to be about that. And, and it is about some of the things that go on around, as you might expect, um, uh, if you're a, a couple of young guys falling in love and that's your particular situation. But it also does a thing that a lot of great love stories do, which is, you know, g- capture that feeling of finding someone that you didn't think was possible for you. And the world seems different. Um, it seems f- more, for, more, more full of possibility and wonder than he thought was possible. Um, Barakiva, the author, he's um, a di- theater director uh, in New York for a long time, worked with Wendy Wasserman, who is one of the 20th century's really, bro- one of Broadway's shining lights of the 20th century. Um, it's also about family. It's set in summertime. It's in New York. So if that sounds like something that interests you and i have to say it interests me yeah um, totally interests me and check out one man guy by michael barakiva it's also the the one one of the things the publisher said you know one analog was think about armenians is the cultural group sort of that it's centered in and around and kind of pokes fun at them with them lovingly tenderly kind of like my big fat greek wedding did the Greek. So I think that's a pretty, should give you a pretty good sense of what you're in for. Um, but that's One Man Guy by Michael Barakiva. That's available anywhere you can get books. And we can drop a link in the show notes if you want to find out more. It has a nice cover, too, I think, by the it way. It does. Yeah, the cover is really nice. The, I feel like young adult stories are just booming right now and stories that take perspectives and experiences that haven't been given much time on the page before. So it's cool to see these books coming out yeah you know what else is cool jeff i i know so many cool things this but you have to be cool, more specific well our first big story of the week is a thing that makes me happy to have it over and hopefully we can stop talking mm. about it because we talked about it on our very first episode more than a year ago a judge has finally put an end to the lawsuit that harper lee um filed against the um, monroe county heritage museum in her hometown uh in Alabama. Uh, and so it's over. Yep. You can't, they you, settled. She can't, they, did they settle or did the judge miss it? Well, I didn't look too closely they, at the story. They, so what was happening was she, Harper Lee uh, claimed that this Monroe County Museum, which was using tokillamockingbird.com as its web address. And they, and they changed that. They <laughs> right, did. They and I think we that. both agree that, yeah, you probably yeah, should yeah, that. Was, yeah, but, yeah. So they were using the title of her book as their web address. And she said that they were taking advantage of her work by selling souvenirs and using the title of the book and sort of building uh, Monroe County's museum uh, around uh, benefiting mm-hmm. from her association with uh, with the town. So there was a settlement in February, but the agreement was never signed. Mm. And so the case restarted again in May with Harper Lee's lawyers filing papers and saying that they had asked the museum to turn over documents and answer more questions. And I guess just to continue this suit. Uh, so it's finally over. No numbers have been released about what the settlements mm-hmm. were, but the case is closed and the Monroe County Museum has now changed its website to MonroeCountyMuseum.org instead of to kill a mockingbird. 
museumgalleries.com. Well, so. I hope the settlement terms were such that the museum gets to stay open and it's not too much of a financial hardship. I'm guessing there was maybe some percentage scheme worked out or maybe a lump sum payment or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, I I hate this story. I'm glad it's over. I know. I'm glad it's over, too. Harper Lee has just had a rough time, and she's 88. And I... And, and I have no data for this, but I kind of don't think it's her doing it. I think it's well, her estate. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too, because one of the other big Harper Lee story that we've had in the last year was that there was shady stuff going on with her agent. Yeah, former sister or brother in law. Right, who's like a loose relative thinking, somehow. And, so, and, and there have been some indications that her health isn't great. Uh, so one wonders how much she's been uh, driving this and how much it's someone else wanting to profit from their relationship with her. So I hope this is actually the end of it. Uh, Um, Me too. Let Harper leave, leave her alone. Right. (laughs) Just let her have her peace. I I feel like I could see like a play called like the last days of Harper Lee that are about all this stuff going on and a power struggle within the family. And anyway, this is the saddest story. ever. Yeah. I don't know, but hopefully this is the last, um, unpleasant story we have to hear out of this let's speaking of ongoing unpleasant stories oh um amazon hachette continues apace Mm -hmm. a couple of quick things one is this week hachette announced that they were firing uh laying off i guess laying off they laid off 28 we're not going to keep you because we don't want to pay you versus firing which is you suck right um Mm -hmm. which apparently is unrelated to the current amazon hachette standoff um, and it had been in the works for a while, though the timing sure makes for bad optics on it. It does. 3%, so 3% of the workforce means they have about 1,000 employees, I guess, a little less mm-hmm. than that if it's... Um, so that, that happened too, which is adding more fuel, fuel to the fire. But one of the big fishes of media um, decided to, uh, to, to swim into the pond, and Stephen Colbert, whose own books are affected by this because he's published by Hachette, um, called out Amazon on his, on the Colbert Report this week. <laughs> he gave them not one finger, but two. Two, two fingers. Um, <laughs> you can imagine which ones. They weren't thumbs, uh, if you need that to narrow it down a little bit. Um, and did this cool thing where he, he plugged a book, um, Eden Lepecky's, Lepucky? Lepucky. Lepucky, uh, California, and told everyone listening to go pre-order it from Powell's, um, which is great. I mean, that's yeah. awesome if you're going to do it that way. And he had Sherman Alexi on, who's a... Who's been uh, hating on Powell's since before. I mean, <laughs> Alexi, on Amazon. <laughs> Alexi, I think, has been probably the most consistently vocal, mm-hmm. notable author to just sort of continually rail against Amazon, which, um, say what you will about Amazon, I like that he he sticks to his guns because so many publishing don't. Yeah, and I like that Sherman Alexi sticks to both sides of the argument. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just rail against Amazon, but he also proactively not just praises indie bookstores, but is involved with indie bookstores. And he said so many times in so many interviews that he owes his career to indie bookstores that when his first books came out, they weren't going to go anywhere in big retailers, but that um, independent booksellers found his books and championed them and hand sold them and helped him rise up, which, uh, Given that indie bookstores' share of the market is shrinking, uh, I, I wonder like if that's possible today. Like if um, if mm. indie booksellers could make a book uh, in the way that you know, Alexi credits them for making his career. But he really is consistent uh, with his argument. He's smart and passionate about it. Um, I think he's handling this 
the right way if you're an author who wants to be vocally critical yeah. of Amazon. And and so then he went on Colbert and they talked about, um, you know, if you're looking for a Hachette book that you can buy um, that you don't want to buy from Amazon, they picked out Eden LaPucky's California, which is a debut novel. So this is like a huge thing huge that happened deal, yeah. to your debut. And we've been hearing good things about it even before sure. Colbert. So I'm, I'm not surprised. I guess it's, is he a is he a, a publishing news nerd? Like how to hear about you know, like how who put this in well, his ear? I keep wondering about this. I mean, well, Colbert. Yeah. Well, he's published by Hachette, right? So it must have gotten to him right. that his books were not available on Amazon. But there's also been talk for the last couple of years about there being a Colbert bump that was not as big as the Oprah bump, but mm-hmm. a similar phenomenon that after an author went on the Colbert Report, their book sales uh, went. Well, he sky has. High. I mean, that's that's what this other piece of data. He like he has authors on the show. Much more right. than, I think he's a reader. Yeah, I wonder if that'll continue when he takes over Letterman's spot, or is that chair too big to have people? Well, on? Philip Roth is coming out of retirement to. There, speaking of stories, I'm tired of <laughs> Philip Roth coming in. I'm not writing anymore. Philip Roth is the I'm not. Brett Favre I'm not having any more peanut butter and jellies. World. Philip Roth says, um, "I swear, he's retired this is, from retiring." Yeah. Um, it's, anyway, but yeah, I think Colbert will, will continue to. I think I hope he'll continue to do authors and literary figures when he takes over the bigger spot. But such a cool thing to pick out a debut novel and then to say, go buy this from Powell's, you know, great uh, indie bookstore. And along with that, they had um, on the Colbert Report site printable stickers that say, I didn't buy it on Amazon that you can print out <laughs> and stick on any book that you're reading, which hopefully you're be- being honest and not just sticking them on anything. Well, I mean, um, I guess the, you could if you wanted to support it was, and do it anyway. I believe the appearance was Tuesday mm-hmm. uh, when Sherman Alexi was on the show and when they did this. And by Wednesday morning, California had become Powell's top selling title uh-huh. ahead of J.K. Rowling. Wow, really? Uh-huh, the new Robert Galbraith title. Oh, The Silkworm, which you also can't mm-hmm. get on Amazon right now right. because it's Hachette. <laughs> because it's, it's also Hachette. Yeah. Uh, so it's moving. This is this is rolling on. It was interesting to see it break through. And I don't remember if we talked about it on the show last week or if we've just been talking offline about how this is the media coverage that this Amazon Hachette thing uh, is getting has broken past just yeah. publishing coverage so that people we know who don't pay attention to the book industry at all are hearing about it and asking questions about it and getting somebody like Stephen Colbert to talk about it is certainly a, that's yeah, a big thing. Yeah, I have thing. friends emailing me just saying, you should talk about this on the site, which, bless their hearts, means they're not reading the site because we, <laughs> have, we have linked about it. But anyway, but yeah, civilians are saying this is a mm-hmm. thing. And the, a lot of, um, you know, the, the bubbling, burbling, subterranean, um, at least in the larger world, angst about Amazon is really coalescing around yeah, this it seems I, to be i wonder I was, if it'll i wonder if it'll stand i was just about to say the next story that we have on the docket that we'll link to as well is related to these i didn't buy it on amazon stickers mm. um, that the colbert rapport site made but indie booksellers have been printing them out and making them available to their customers in stores and i've seen several indie bookstores doing creative things on their social media as well like um our friends at word in in greenpoint in brooklyn uh, are doing like photos of books sellers holding up titles that are Hachette books. Like you can't get the latest David Sedaris from Amazon, but we've got it. And some of them are signed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really given focus to the anti-Amazon 
argument where I, like on a normal day in publishing the anti-amazon argument feels a lot like just angry villagers with pitchforks you know just general distress or like angry villagers talking about their pitchforks right. like you know we should get some pitchforks right right uh but having this particular thing going on between amazon and hachette seems to have focused uh, the action and the rhetoric that are that's coming out of uh, amazon critics and indie booksellers in particular and i think that's nice to see it's nice to see it feel like there's some movement mm -hmm. uh, rather than just you know talk about educating customers about why you know books are more expensive in their indie bookstore than they are on amazon or why it's important to think about where your books come from that kind of stuff yeah so. even barnes and noble got in the action this week had a deal and i think it's still going on where if you bought two hachette books you would get a third for free mm. um and they, or I, I don't think it was all hachette books but they had a kind of a curated list of of things to pick from too i'll look i'll look for that and put in the show notes if i can find it um that was only a segue i only brought that up to segue into the next story um <laughs> Oh. I'm really interested in this. So Samsung and Barnes and Noble are getting are, are going to release co-branded tablets. So we've been talking, we've been hearing a lot about Barnes and Noble getting out of making their own e-readers and devices. Mm -hmm. um, and we want we've talked about this on the show. We kind of wondered if Microsoft would be their partner yeah. because they bought Nokia and they do their own tablets. And Microsoft has a I think $800 million stake or something <laughs> like that in Nook Media, which is part of Barnes and Noble, but they're partnering with Samsung, and there's going to be, a, I guess, a couple different um, models, but one will be Samsung, Samsung tablets that say with Nook or something like that, and the other ones will be Nooks by Samsung. So I don't know why those two different things. But this makes a ton of sense to me, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Well, first of all, Samsung is the second, you know, they, they might now be the largest um, maker of smartphones. Um, mm -hmm. But in the, they have so many all around the world running Android. Um, I don't know if they're the largest non-iPad maker of tablets, but if they aren't, they're way up there. So this is what they do. This is their business. I would think Amazon is the largest non-iPad oh, maker of I, tablets. I guess I forget about that. Right. Yeah, I, that makes sense. Um, the other thing, too, is Samsung doesn't really have a... I don't know, but like they, most of their Android tablets rely on Google Play for media, mm -hmm. so they don't. I don't think they have their own buy eBooks, music, video, so on and so forth. So, do they get just like a share of the Nook sales I don't know. that come I, through this? Because I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't say. Um, usually, these sorts of things aren't released publicly, mm. um, but there, there must be some sort of agreement. I think I kind of I'm less excited about this than you are. I think I fall into the camp of like, I see why they're doing this. But if you're Samsung, and you just want to break out your tablets more and compete with Amazon and Apple more. I don't know that Barnes and Noble is the brand that's going to help you solve that problem. Well, and, I don't know about that. I think they just they could get away from using Google yeah. exclusively to deliver content because you know, one thing that's not easy is negotiating media rights and deals with huge mm -hmm. companies. And you know, remember, Nook does music and video and yeah, books yeah. and was, so on and so forth. I tend to filter um, tech stories through Bob, through uh, um, my my husband, when, who doesn't pay attention to this stuff the way that we do. And so it's like, oh, what does an, a civilian, as mm -hmm. you said earlier, and so like, what does a person who doesn't watch this stuff closely think about these things? And he was like, so why would I buy a Samsung tablet with Nook when I could just buy a Samsung tablet and put the Nook app on it already. Uh, you certainly could. I think this all this will be is it's already on there. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, what I, I guess what I'm getting at is it, it, it gives Barnes & Noble a, 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 uh, some, some wagon to hitch to. Yeah, it makes sense mm-hmm. why they're doing it. But it, I'm really skeptical at this point that anybody's going to start to compete with what Amazon and Apple have done. With tablets if and anyone e-reading. can, it's Samsung. I mean, that's the they're the they're the big player. Two hundred and eighty-seven thousand employees, by the yeah, way, for but Samsung. Like, I mean, is partnering with Barnes and Noble at this point not just like putting stones in your pockets and walking into the water? If you're, it depends on the deal. I mean, it may not cost them much. I don't know, uh, but we long have wondered what was going to happen, and this is it. Right. This um, is what's happening. This is what's happening. Uh, I would be more concerned if it was like i don't know one of like the 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 third tier chinese distributors like huawei or something like that Mm. which no one ever heard of because samsung the other thing they do is they spend money on advertising um they spend something like four billion dollars a year in global advertising which is four times what uh, apple spends so maybe we'll see you know ads at the holidays for the samsung with nook it does it does say that the the new samsung nook tablets will be alongside regular Nook devices in stores, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, But again, I don't do that for a living, so they probably, I'm going to assume they know what they're doing to some degree. Um, The other thing Samsung doesn't have is they rely on Best Buy and uh, Target Mm -hmm. and some of these other places to put their devices on display. um, And they get, you know, they get the what a thousand North American Barnes and Nobles that'll have Samsung yeah, devices true. in there. Another showroom. They have them in Costco's. They do. Yeah, that's right. They do have them in Costco's. <laughs> I can't um, tell you how I know that. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, which Apple doesn't have stuff in Costco, right? Or at least no, not in mine. No, they don't. Not in my Costco. They don't either. care um, about Costco. Uh, so anyway, that's interesting to see that Nook yeah. isn't going away I- as long had been um, thought. But this is, I guess, the move they're going to make. Uh, of the moves available to them, maybe I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm excited about this, but it makes sense. It's not an idiotic move yeah, as far as I can I, tell. Like, I don't know what else I would do besides this. I I'll guess be watching I'm, it with cautious interest, yeah, I think. Right. You no, know, no, no optimism. I can't get any cautious. <laughs> no, no, okay. I don't think I have optimism left about this one. Okay, okay. Um, and I'm usually like the Pollyanna of... Our little duo. (laughs) So Um, here's another tech thing that I think could be super cool, but that maybe is not as super cool in the execution as it is in the concept. But I came across this on The Verge earlier this week, uh, that a company in Romania called Vodafone has partnered with a furniture retailer called Mob Expert or Mob Expert mm -hmm. um, to allow you to create wallpaper of book spines um, that then visitors to your home can scan with QR codes, which, you know, the people just love QR codes uh, to download the book to their phone or tablet. So like if it worked, it would be really super great to like, you know, pick out 200 books that you have loved and put them onto this digital shelf and then get the printed wallpaper from the company. You build a digital library on the site and you order the wallpaper, which it says comes out to over $100. Hang it up in your guest room or your home library or your kitchen or whatever. And, you know, then scan the QR code to get the book onto your phone or tablet. It sounds like there are some execution Uh issues here. I think I'm going to be the wet blanket of no way on this one. (laughs) Like, first of all, QR codes. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Like, 
Which, I is think in, I, which is internet shorthand for this isn't going to work. I mean, right. that's what QR codes basically right. mean. Yeah, I read uh, – I can't believe people are still writing takedowns of the QR code, but I still come across them like once a week on the internet. And it maybe they're necessary because companies like this are still insisting on putting QR codes on things with the belief that people are going to scan them and use yeah. them um, for something. So this but you've got – so you, you, you tell them what books you have and they mm-hmm. print out your wallpaper. Right. Or not even books you have, just I guess it could be just well, any collection of books. You're selecting from the books that are available and licensed to the company. Oh, okay. And that's another wrinkle is that the ebooks are apparently only licensed to Vodafone through September of 2014. So what? if they don't extend it, which I guess the deal could be extended, but if they don't extend this deal, then you've got a $100 plus piece of wallpaper with a bunch of freaking QR codes on it. And you can't get a darn thing off of them because the book licenses run out in the fall. So this was like the good idea committee and the bad idea committee had a baby. Yeah. And you know what? It was actually just a bad idea committee. (laughs) It was just the two. Well, but I'm trying to think, why do you do this? So like you come to visit my house Uh and you're like, check out. And I'm like, check out my wallpaper. And you're like, oh, I want to read that book. Let me take a picture of the QR code rather than just... Well, I guess writing you can, it down or something? I think if you take a picture of the QR code and you download it, you're just downloading it, I think, for free, I think. Okay. Um, from the, the Vodafone license rather than like opening your phone and going to like your Kobo app or whatever. Okay. And <laughs> All right. Uh, no. I, like I said, yeah. problems in the execution. But I was, I've been thinking about this thing this week because like well, especially, what problem does this solve that's what i don't understand well, so you and i both do most of our book buying digitally indeed now but if you want to be able to like show friends that those are the books that you've read and be able to recommend the books that you've read digitally to them uh-huh. having some kind of poster or something it's not a bad idea like i've I've heard other half-baked versions of this too. Like what if you could just enter in the titles of all of the eBooks that you've read and it would print them out into a book spine poster that you could hang up in your room next to your bookshelves. Like the, the posters would pick up where your physical bookshelves left off. Okay. Um, I don't feel the need to display the books that I read that I way, but I so. guess if you did, this might solve that problem kind of, and right. then you could lend the book to a friend in the same way that you just take it off the shelf and hand it to them. Okay. Um, I want this to be cool. Like I can feel that I'm trying to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no? Let me save you the effort. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess if you buy eBooks and you want people to be able to see what you have and you print out wallpaper that then once you buy one <laughs> new eBook, it's immediately obsolete for starters, right? That's true. So I don't mean, But you just keep saving them and what then every I like 20 is, books, you make a new poster. I was thinking, I was going to write a post about this, but then my eyes just started bleeding about how terrible the execution was. But I was thinking, what if it was like some sort of thing on your Apple TV or where basically your TV when it wasn't, you know, you weren't using it as a television mm. was like a big screensaver. And it just rotated. It just through rotated books. through covers of books you had through your Amazon, you know, because Amazon has that Kindle TV right. thing, something like that. If you really wanted to be able to display them in some way, um, but I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, and I wonder. I guess the bigger question for me is: uh, we keep seeing things like this. Oh, like I know. I've... It's a projector, and ah. it projects it onto your wall. <laughs> 
that's a better idea than this. And I does came it have it a film strip seconds. soundtrack that goes it does, with it, it does. too? Yeah, you have to go. And it beeps? To, yeah, it's, and Don Draper comes and he, he uh, <laughs> manually um, advances the slides. And he cries a little. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, not a, it's, I think it's not a carousel. It's the, a time machine. Oh, um, oh, just give me a minute to let that soak in. Yeah, I know. I think the question that these things raise for me is what I, readers are in this weird spot now where for yes, a long time we've been able to right about that. we've been able to display our books and a lot to a lot of readers that's an important thing to be able to show off the books that you've read to display them to tell people something about yourself when they take a glance at your bookshelves and so companies recognize that readers are saying that this is a dilemma and they're trying to come up with solutions to it. I think the real solution to it is to just not care about displaying your books for people, people to over. read. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Uh, don't invite people over and then just stop caring about displaying your books. Like your friends know that you're smart and delightful mm -hmm. and they can ask you what you've been reading lately. And then we can stop having people tell us that we need to scan <laughs> QR codes to download things. I mean, I, I would, it seems like if someone was going to do some sort of in-home display, like maybe Goodreads as a partner would make sense because mm -hmm. you already have an account and you have a bunch of your books, you know, entered in and yeah. I don't, I don't know. It seems weird. Maybe when we're all wearing Oculus Rift uh, VR headsets <laughs> uh, and visiting each other virtually, you and know, the world is like the Minority Report, right? Like, then you can just have hologram bookshelves, and it would be like Jeff O'Neill entering. Yeah. Jeff is currently reading Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. <laughs> Jeff is At currently judging of... your bookshelves. <laughs> um, it's, it's the video is kind of interesting until you start thinking about it all, and you're like, "This is right," it. and then you're like, uh, yeah. "Yeah, I just don't know that there actually is a good solution to displaying digital shelves for other people's." I just don't even think benefit. it's a problem. I, I mean, I mean, maybe there's some. I guess if you think of your bookshelves as like you know the the deer head over your mantle place, I just right, don't think right. of them that way. Yeah, I think maybe twenty years from now, this is not a question anymore. <laughs> right. When, when ebooks are less new, and it's just the way that a lot of people do their reading, you know, like the next generation of readers won't care about having something. Or to maybe display. when we're all wearing Google Glass, you walk into my house and it, it's location aware, and like there's a little icon that pops up that says. Mm -hmm. Jeff's bookshelves, and you wink twice at it, and the, it pops up, and you can browse my ebooks. That sounds creepy. I feel too. like we should just move on now. Yeah, I'm we're we're, sad. we're having a trouble with this one too. Um, but the video is worth sixty seconds. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, specious claims, um, we did a story a while back. On this, some... is, is this like the episode where we just poop a little yeah, bit on yeah, a lot I know. of things? Uh, well, there's some stuff going up that we like. Um, we did a story a while back on someone who was advertising themselves as a bibliotherapist. Remember that? It was like I last do, yeah. Fall it was like some woman, uh, some woman, I think, in uh, naturally in Brooklyn. Yeah, uh, of course. Just had like put notices on public bulletin boards. I think that you could contact her for bibliotherapy. Mm -hmm. And now uh, the Center for Fiction, which uh, we what, uh, I know, which we folks, like, we know them, we know them a little bit. They're having um, something called a novel approach. And uh, writers and editors involved with the center's, you know, activities, they have some in-residence writers every year and some people are just affiliated. You can sign up and you can get a 45-minute consultation. Um, and you can tell them whatever your life crisis is, you get to pick one. You can have multiple life crises going on because they can't help you then. That would just be messy. That's just too many. Um, but you can come in and say, here's what's going on with me. And then they will recommend some books for you to read. And that's okay. it. Okay. Um, <laughs> Making like their it, lives better, 
becoming better human beings through reading. Actually, I want to pick a nit before we even get to the details okay. of this. <laughs> that, the, the name? That, well, no, I no, mean, okay. whatever, whatever. A novel approach. At least it's not book capades. <laughs> which actually, book help capades is like the one thing that yeah. doesn't exist. Shelf yourself. <laughs> no, help yourself. Oh, that too. <laughs> no, shelf help. Uh, it's really because it should be called shelf help. Shelf help. It yeah. really should. Okay, uh, sorry. Okay. I didn't mean to so, pre-pick your nit. Uh, what is this woman's... I've lost the person's name. Oh, Noreen Tomasi mm-hmm. uh, is the director um, of the Center for Fiction. And she is the person who gave the consultation to the writer of this piece, whose name is M.H. Miller. And so Miller is asking Tomasi about the program. And Tomasi says, um, while many of them wouldn't admit it, people who consider themselves serious readers believe that reading is making their lives better and that they are becoming better human beings through reading. Who doesn't admit that? Like, Mm. haven't we been passing around studies all year on the internet that are like reading fiction for 12 minutes a day makes you more empathetic. (laughs) Like what I've yet to read a novel a day, you'll grow a second brain. Are there serious readers who don't believe in, in some part of their reading lives that, one of the things reading does for them is make them better in some way. Like Mm. this is Uh, not, I feel like this was an attempt to be like, people don't want to talk about the fact that books can make them better. But we have this program where books actually can make you better. Like, I don't know. Okay. That's Uh, my nit. I I consider that nitpicked. Um, I think that's fair. Um, I'm just waving my I, hands around you, over here. I can't, here talk and you can't to pay see for this. Like, what's what's the what's the scam know. here? It doesn't say if you have to pay for it. Yeah. Then what do they do? I mean, if you don't, I mean, I guess that's great. But then why are they doing it? And if you do, everyone wants to know how much it is, right? I mean, that's right. That's the, and it's like they. It looks like they ask detailed questions, and then the person who interviews you goes back and consults with a panel of other readerly people to come up with the list <laughs> okay. and then they email uh, you later your like prescribed reading list uh-huh. and the whole process from um mh miller's interview is you know accounted for in this new york observer piece it seems interesting but it also seems to me like this is why we have independent booksellers um like if you're going to go into the center for fiction and talk to a stranger about what your current life problem is and the books that you think you should read for it then you can walk into a bookstore and talk to a bookseller about the exact same request, but I don't know. I'm of two minds. Like I absolutely believe that sometimes reading about things helps us to make more sense of them and to see our lives in new ways and to solve problems. But I also think that there are problems for which the book is not the solution. (laughs) Yeah. I don't really, I don't really know. I mean, I guess the fundamental idea is like, if you have some sort of thing that's going on, like, let's say you're getting divorced. Yeah, are you going to read books that are going to help you with divorce or relationships or the impermanence of all things? Like, I guess, I don't know. It just feels, there's something very, like, tongue-in-cheek about the whole thing. Like, it's not serious, but it's also not a joke. Yeah, it feels to me like, like, somehow we all know this, right? That reading books is not going, like, reading books alone is not the thing that's likely to make it easy to get easier to get through your divorce or the loss of a loved one or trying to figure out what to do with your life. Like books are one of the ways that passionate readers cope, but, but they're one of the ways that passionate readers cope. 
Yeah, and, it's just it's just there's not like a one to one relationship. It's like and, t- take two Hemingway and call and me pre- in the morning. I, like prescribing just, reading to other people. Like it's so that that thing about no two readers read the same book. Right. Um, is what keeps coming back to me. Like the book that makes me think about relationships differently might not make you think about relationships differently. Or like as an as a concrete example, you and I both really liked I Married You for Happiness by Lily Tuck. But if you could crack our brains open and like look at right. what it made me think about with my relationship and what it made you think about with your relationship, those things are probably different and someone from the outside wouldn't have been able to prescribe that book to yeah, both of but us for the same problem. Not, it's also not just like lottery balls and random, right? right. Like there's some sort of <laughs> there's gotta be some sort of core of of consistency i mean even if we have different experience of it it's like it's not like you thought it was about war and i thought it was about right. like affairs or something like right, that right right so i don't know there's just something really I, I don't i mean i don't think it's dangerous but there's something weird about the tone of it that's like it's using the language of like medicine and therapy but it's not that but it's also not sort of supposed to be playful i don't like right. it's, like, it's like deadly like, serious somehow. yeah it's like books i don't know i don't get it's it it's not I don't think it means to trivialize, but somehow it feels, feels like, like it is. Does. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. It's uh... and like, is someone going to come in there saying I'm su- feeling suicidal, and they're going to like email them ten books later, and that's it? Like, I hope not. I mean, that can't be right. And no, do you have? You probably don't have. Uh, it's not confidential, right? Or like, <laughs> if your problem is say an eating disorder or mm-hmm. something that like that we know requires active behavioral treatment, and yeah people like professionally trained people who understand or like if you have obsessive compulsive disorder like this is a thing that can be treated but it needs to be treated by someone who understands the appropriate way to do exposure therapy like someone handing you a book that's like go touch spiders until you're not afraid of spiders anymore like that's not gonna do it (laughs) right i have uh existential dread what do you got for me (laughs) so i it's i mean if it was couched a little bit differently, it seemed like it would be fun, right? Like, here's this mm-hmm. thing I think about a lot, or this question right. I've always had, maybe. Right. Rather than like, I've got this mal, I've got this, I've got this brokenness in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and could you well, could you sub- could you uh, prescribe some short stories? Because right. I, I bet that'll work. And we like you could sort of do that. Like we talked last week about our shared affection for the band gets back together yeah stories which i think i would phrase as like i am really interested in family dynamics yes and in what happens with groups of friends over time and when you bring back group a group together that hasn't been together for a long time and change has occurred in all of them what that looks like and so then they could be like oh well you should read maine and you should read seating arrangements and you should read the new hannah petard novel you know because that those all do that they bring back families or groups of friends and check out the interestings like Mm -hmm. that what's this what's the idea that you like to think about a lot i think would be super interesting for book recommendations but this angle of book therapy like it's starting to feel like we've seen it before and also that it's not it's not even the most interesting way to do this thing no i don't think so but that idea that it's out there that books can be a cure for what ails you is both things we believe and don't believe at the same time exactly exactly which i think is maybe the most interesting about this like yeah we sort of in general we think reading books uh, is good but it's very hard to pin down what specific ways they are good which is why we flock i think to those science the studies, right? Because mm-hmm. that gives us something firm to hold on to, where if you read about a Muslim woman for 90 seconds, you feel better about Muslim women for X right. amount of, like also seems very ham-fisted and weird, mm-hmm. but at least it gives some sort of specificity, this general feeling that we have that I think depending on the day feels both right, you know, can be feel more right than, a, than other days. Um, for sure. 
So, okay, we got to do the next sponsor. Yeah, we're going to do the next sponsor, and then, like, the back half of the show is movies, all, like, TV, TV movie yeah. news. Okay, good. Which we all, we like all of these, I think. Right, anyway. so um, I Read YA is back as the sponsor again this week. Uh, it's a program from Scholastic's This Is Teen community, and it's just about sharing the statement that you read and love YA, uh, which is particularly timely this week if you have been the unfortunate recipient of tweets um, of that Slate article about how adults oh should be God. ashamed to read YA. If no one has sent it to you, you yet don't google it it's as bad as it sounds uh but if you read ya and you're proud or you just want to celebrate the existence of awesome uh, young adult books and the meaning that they carry to readers of all ages uh, you can tweet at uh, this underscore is underscore teen and tell them about the YA books that you love. Get recommendations from them. You can also use the I read YA hashtag and you'll be joining hundreds, maybe thousands of other readers and authors. And when you use the hashtag, you'll be entered to win great YA prizes. Uh, Scholastic runs This Is Teen on Tumblr at thisisteen.tumblr.com. Uh, and again, the hashtag is I read YA. And it's just a really simple celebration of um, enjoying young adult novels, being proud to be a fan and a reader of young adult or a writer of young adult, and also a great place to get book recommendations. So uh, thank you to Scholastic and This Is Teen. Check out the I Read YA hashtag. There's a ton of great stuff there. Um, if you've never read young adult and you are thinking about testing the waters, that would be a great place to get recommendations. Um, people would enthusiastically jump in and tell you about the books that they love. And and you could do a, like, here are the adult authors that I love, or here are the themes that I love. What should I read for YA? And I'm sure you would get uh, great hits there. So that is our second sponsor. I got to talk show. about this late thing for just 90 seconds. I'm so sorry to do this. Bees in your but bonnet. I, bees, yeah. bees in and your bonnet. And it's not about the piece, which we've seen variations of since the internet existed, I think, and YA yeah, is yeah, a yeah. thing, which it's is. It's just another click. It's another thing. one like. You should be embarrassed to read YA because that's not for adults. And, and it's adults, a variation on you should be embarrassed to read romance yeah. or you should be embarrassed to read fantasy. And the actual piece itself is no better or worse than any other ones I've seen. But the, the thing that struck me this time, um, and I got uh, I got all the bees in all of my bonnets um, <laughs> that's about the show yesterday, title. <laughs> uh, is that this isn't just clickbait, I don't think, because people believe this. Mm -hmm. And I saw, so A.O. Scott, who's the film critic of the New York Times, said he sort of basically said in a tweet that i that i retweeted with a comment you know someone needed to say this Ugh. and daniel mendelson who is the one of the big time book reviewers in new york times did something similar he retweeted ao scott's retweet so Barf. so i'm kind of, my my instinct is to like don't feed the trolls whatever but i think in this case there are people who actually believe this. Like, I, th I and, think and you're right. Th that YA shaming is real. I mean, I know romance shaming is real. Um, but this, like, this isn't just, like, this is the manifestation of some larger critical literary mm -hmm. attitude that really does exist. And people really think this. And it's not just, I mean, it's not just Slate. Or excuse me, right. is it Slate? Slate? It is Slate. Slate. Yeah, and the, trolling the writer... for clicks, which they got. By right, the way. she for sure did. The writer of the piece tweeted a couple of hours before the piece went out about like, ha ha, I know how many people I'm going to make mad this afternoon. Right. Um, so she was going for this. But she's also equivocating to a degree that I don't appreciate where she's like, well, I'm, I'm all for having guilty pleasures. I just think that we should, you know, 
acknowledge that sometimes there's guilt. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I think the perspective that you and I both take is kind of there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure, <laughs> when, as, at least when you're talking about books. Like, read the stuff you like. Love what you love, as Ray Bradbury said. Right. Just just love what you love and celebrate it and enjoy it. But that there are, you're right on, that it's worth the rant, that there are people in uh, positions of power and authority yeah. in media who are using their positions to to actively look at large, beautiful, thriving communities of readers and say, you should be ashamed of the choices that you've made. Right. And, and to also imply that any adult reading young adult novels must be reading them as a guilty pleasure um, and that they couldn't be more substantial or meaningful right. to their readers. I, it's so tone deaf. And then at, at the same time, I feel like, thanks for just outing yourself as a giant jerk. Right. Hole. No, I'm and, glad because I unfollowed Mendelssohn. I also, I'm like, if that's how you think about the world, I'm just not interested in, in that anymore. And I've long thought that um, one of the reasons book blogging took off in the way that it does, and which we're seeing actually on YouTube now as, as mm-hmm. much as anywhere, is people who love YA wanting a space to talk about it because people like whoever, I can't remember the woman's name, I don't even want to say it, but Mendelssohn and whoever, like there was no room in the places where books are normally talked about for people who love this stuff and want to talk about it and think about it to do it and it's just it's so mm-hmm. frustrating um and i hope i hope if you do like ya um that you see this and you can hear that this is ridiculous um as hard as it might be to see the the number one critic at the new york times for film and one of the big names that gets a back page column every other week in the mm-hmm. new york times saying that you should be embarrassed i hope you know that that's crap that's total bs and that's total bs um and and uh, you know, it sucks that people just, have to hear right, that. The, the bottom line is just don't don't be ashamed of what you love to read and and know that you shouldn't be. Yeah. That no one has the right to tell you that. And you know, we all choose books for whatever reasons right. that we choose books. You don't have to justify your reading choices. I mean, yeah. Are there anyone. problems think, with some YA tropes? You know, of course. And, but you sure. know what? There's problem with literary fiction Man, tropes. There's, there's a lot come of on. bad literary fiction tropes. I think the other thing that I want to say, since we're having this conversation yeah, now, I, I didn't mean to is do this oh, that's fine. Is if you are an adult reader who's skeptical about YA, who's mm. never read it, but you retweeted that piece because you feel like there must be something right in it, um, or or the same for romance. Like uh, I will say over and over again that you don't get to judge a thing until you have tried it. And in the same way that you don't get to complain about the president, if you didn't vote, mm-hmm. um, try some young adult novels and try them earnestly and in good faith, you know, get recommendations from someone that you trust um, who knows your taste and, and see there's, there should be something in YA for you, even if it doesn't become your favorite thing. Um, Oh, we sent out the third quarterly box uh, for Book yes. Riot uh, this week, and one of the books in it was a young adult title, and one of the books in it was a YA title, or sorry, it was a romance title as well. And the theme of this box was pushing our subscribers out of their boundaries to try the genres and categories that they tell us most often they're hesitant to try, being fantasy, young adult, and romance. And most people were pretty excited about getting those books and having you know recommendations made to them about how to try those new things. But I did read several reviews from people who were like, well, I just draw the line at romance Mm -hmm. and I don't want to fight with people on the internet. So I don't respond. (laughs) But the thing that I always want to ask is, have you ever read any, or do Mm. you just draw the line based on some preconceived notions that you have about what a romance novel is or who the readers of romance are um, or preconceived notions about what a a young adult book is and who the readers of young adult books are. So if you're, if you're leaning in that direction of, I just don't want to read those things, I would challenge you. It's, it's worth it as a reader to at least try. 
I have to admit, I don't even care too much about people who don't want to read it. Like, it, that's your choice. But I don't want you getting online and saying, ugh, romance, uh, yeah, no, exactly. At least shut like, up about it. I don't care if you just choose to never read young adult novels. But if you're going to make the choice to never read young adult novels and then you want some kind of cookie for announcing on the Internet right. that you just won't read young adult or you draw the line at romance, like if that's a declaration that you need to make to display something about your character, I guess, like I, I'm not interested in that. And also it's kind of pointless. Probably like, no. they printed out digital wallpaper of all their classics. <laughs> Probably so. You're so fancy. You don't read YA. You're should so we, fancy. Should we put our pitchforks down and talk about happy making things? I guess so. I think we for... took them from those one villagers <laughs> and we're using them for our own devices. I'm keeping my pitchfork sharpened lately. Uh, yeah, I agree. Well, I find, that that one was pitchfork worthy. Okay, let's do some other so there were uh, we a gotta bunch. do lightning round here. How are we, we gonna do. do these? I'm just gonna run through them. Okay, go for it. There were a bunch of great announcements this week about TV and movies. And the one that I am like waving giant Muppet arms around for uh, is that Darren Aronofsky is adapting Margaret Atwood's Mad Adam trilogy, which is Oryx and Crake, The Year of the Flood and Mad Adam into a series for HBO. So it's the whole, see, I didn't read the story. So it's the whole trilogy, not just the the last book. Yeah, I think it's like, they, they call them the Mad Adam books. And Mad okay. Adam is a character who appears. That's so confusing because most trilogies are named after the first After the first book. one. Yeah. It is confusing. I'm sorry. Um, okay. But Thank you tell... for validating my confusion. <laughs> it is confusing. Um, Oryx and Crake and the Year of the Flood are kind of meanwhiles of each other. They take place in roughly the same time frame, but in two different locations. So the main characters of one show up on the periphery of the other, and you can read them right up next to each other. Uh, and then Mad Adam takes place after those events. So you could, I think what they'll probably do is weave Oryx and Crake and the Year of the Flood into storylines that bounce back and forth. Um, and then the Mad Adam events take place after that. But it's, if you're not familiar, it's a speculative fiction uh, trilogy about sort of environmental disaster. Uh, Margaret Atwood rejects the term apocalypse because if, if it's the apocalypse, no one is here to tell That's the story. That's my point. I've made this point. Thank you, Atwood, for also <laughs> validating me. Uh, but giant corporations have taken taken over the government and this uh, disease has swept through a lot of humanity. And so there are just like a few tribes left and you get to see how the technology was developed uh, and you get to see who the bad guys were that made this thing happen kind of mm -hmm. accidentally. And there are crazy like hybrid breeds of animals that are smushed together. There are pigoons, which are I think pigs and baboons. I cannot remember what the heck a pigoon is. I mean, that's as good a guess as any. <laughs> right. But it's so great. And I'm really excited to see. I hope that it comes to be, you know, they make lots of deals about shows that never yeah. hit the airwaves. But I will just watch the crap out of a Margaret Atwood well, it HBO is, series. It, it does seem suited to Aronofsky, who's a bit of a nut. Yeah. I mean, he does weird, like, was it Life of Pi was one mm -hmm. of his? And then the Noah ones. Um, so he's up for a little weird. Uh, it's interesting to see. I, I hope it gets made. I would watch this too. Um, all right. So the next one then is AMC is thinking of adapting the sun or are they? Uh, developing the sun. They're developing it. Okay. So the sun by Philip Meyer, which was, that came out last year. Mm -hmm, it's in paperback now. Um, which makes a lot of, did you read this? Did you ever get I around didn't. to this? Okay. Um, I like the words multi-generational <laughs> saga, but I somehow just can't. <laughs> Yeah, it's multi-generational. It's, it's like uh, cross it's, like Larry McMurtry with There Will Be Blood. Okay. 
and that's kind of where you are. Like, it's I not quite as feverish as there will be blood, but it's definitely, it's about oil, empire, and Texas, and um, I think if, it would be very cool to see. If it's shot the way that, like, the deserty looking scenes in Breaking Bad were shot, then I'm going to be all over it anyway. Yeah, so... Um, that will be AMC is what they're, they're, they're it looks like the AMC is trying to find rightly so some breaking bad men mad men mm-hmm. replacements since those and, are both going to be off and the air speaking of breaking bad Brian Cranston who played Walter White has announced that his production company has optioned the popular kids book the dangerous book for boys mm. uh, by which is by Con and Hal Igledon and is a bunch of like get your face out of your TV screen and your phone and go outside and do a thing kind of activities mm-hmm. for, for boys. Um, but he's optioned it and they're going to adapt it into a comedy television series about two boys who use their imaginations to navigate growing up without a father. Okay. Um, so they're adding a storyline to it. I am both super excited because I love Brian Cranston. Yeah. But also, like, if you can add a storyline to a book that's really just a. Right. That's what I tweeted earlier. Go. Like, they're writing a storyline for a book that's just a collection of activities about, like, how to make a paper hat and how to train <laughs> your dogs to do things. Like, why can they not add girl characters? Why can't it at least be a brother and a sister? I'm right there I, with you. I, can I bring myself to DVR something called The Dangerous Book for Boys? Mm. I don't know. I hope that Brian Cranston will write a girl character. It's early days yet. Early maybe days. I'll, maybe I'll write him a letter. That's, that's, you know, I bet he'd read it. Uh, <laughs> Lupita Nyong'o optioned the film rights to Americana. You've got to be excited about I this. I am excited about this. Um, Americana, if you've listened to the show, well, you know, was my favorite novel of last year. Um, and I guess she's optioned it probably to play the lead role, I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Again, it's about a, two young people from Nigeria. Um, it's a love story. Um, and they come to America. Um, I think it would be a great movie. I was thinking this would be a good series. I would watch this series ah. of a couple, you know, like Nigerian immigrant mm-hmm. um, in America sort of trying to make their way in the world. I, I would watch that as well. Um, interestingly, she... Um, uh, optioned it herself, I guess. Uh, so I cool. don't know exactly. She's yeah, probably the, gonna have to partner with a production company. Right. Of some the piece kind, that but, I read also didn't say anything about a production company. Yeah, as as you know, I think we've talked about this before. If you option the film rights, that only means you're like you're buying basically. I, I am buying the option for a certain amount of time to be the one to make a movie. So usually it's a pretty nominal fee, especially for lit fic. You know, thirty, fifty grand. Um, but once if you actually do make the movie then you pay a little bit more for it. So again, a lot of these, it sounds like the, the Matt Adam one is a little further down the development pipe than the few mm. of the other ones we're talking about. Yeah, the about. book's a little older too. So um, those are all coming up. Uh, another another interesting TV film one. If you have $20,000... <laughs> I love this la- so I do much. like this too. If you've got $20,000 laying around, um, George R. R. Martin will write you into one of the next, or the next Game of Thrones book. And then he will kill you off in a grisly fashion. And <laughs> uh, it's for charity. Um, and it goes to a, a wild wolf sanctuary? Yeah, wolf sanctuaries. So, uh, you know, I bet there's someone that's going to do this. You know that there's, there's some, know. <laughs> some rich Game of Thrones fan who, yeah. like, or like you could do this to your enemy. Like, <laughs> donate $20,000 mm. and be a good person for the wild wolf sanctuary and then send george rr R. martin like the name of the person that you don't like. i was thinking you should auction it don't it's don't very don't, cool don't add a see get a couple <laughs> of real nut jobs competing against each other for this 
Because someone will do this. I mean, it's they actually, will. if you have, like, if you're just sitting around with, like, a billion dollars, say you're Zuckerberg or somebody, uh-huh. like, this is a pretty good way to immortalize yourself. Like, this is a book people are going to be reading forever. Yeah, well, it, it looks like this is part of a bigger thing that Martin is doing to raise money for this mm-hmm. um, this wolf sanctuary that's in New Mexico, because for $15,000, you can have breakfast with him, or for $7,500, you can obtain one of his hats. Oh, 20 grand's and a steal. In the, your know, name in the if, book is a steal. If $7,500 is too rich for your blood, you can also pay $50 and just get a t-shirt. What I understand is, like, aren't the names in those books, like, I don't, I only know the plot a little bit. I haven't read, but, like, like, if your name's, like, Kevin Brown, like, I don't, how's that going to work? And, like, Kevin Brown was decapitated with a bloody axe. Like, that's weird. Maybe they have to put it through a Game of Thrones name generator Mm. that, like, adds syllables to your name, but you still know it's Kevin Brown somehow. Uh I don't know. I believe that George R. R. Martin probably has one of those somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> he pulls the lever and it spits out like Rebecca Shinsky becomes something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's uh, where I am right now on this Friday afternoon. <laughs> uh, so anyway, if you've got, you know, the cash and uh, are looking to see yourself um, immortalized as a bit death in the next Game of Thrones books, do that. I guess we better talk about new books here. New books. You want to tell us about some new books? I'm totally going to tell you about new books. Uh, This first one is Euphoria by Lily King. I'm about halfway through it right now, and it is fantastic. It's set in the 1930s in New Guinea about a trio of anthropologists. Uh, Two of them are married to each other, and the third uh, has been in New Guinea a little bit longer, uh, working with some of the tribes. He's made a name for himself, and he narrates the story, uh, but we see everyone's perspective um, through it. He's sort of a first-person omniscient narrator. And and so it's that, like, you can feel the, like, sweltering, mm. sweaty weather, and you can hear the mosquitoes buzzing, and there's kind of this drumbeat under the language um, while King is writing about these anthropologists trying to get in with these different tribes in New Guinea and understand their cultures. And I'm at, at about the halfway mark, I'm starting to see that um, the main female character, who is loosely inspired by uh, real-life anthropologist Mark Margaret Mead, um, is making some discoveries about this one tribe that they're in that seems to be sort of female-led and that the women have power, which is unusual um, in this part of the world at this time. And it's igniting tension between her and her husband and also some tensions between the couple and the other anthropologist that narrates it. Mm. Um, And some of the write-ups have called it like a love triangle. I haven't gotten to the love triangle part yet, uh, but it's really enchanting and so well written it's just kind of pulling me along i sat down to just to start it the other night and a hundred pages later looked up and was like oh i guess i should cook dinner (laughs) (laughs) um it's great when that happens and as a bonus it has a really beautiful striking cover that's like a vertical looking it, it looks like different colors of paint dripping vertically down the cover but it's actually a close up of a rainbow the bark of a rainbow eucalyptus tree like Mm. it's an actual thing so google this and look at the cover for euphoria by lily king and then read it because it's fantastic um the next big release this week which uh if you couldn't hear my bells ringing from wherever you are (laughs) in the world (laughs) i'd be surprised uh, is hard choices by hillary rodham clinton which is her new memoir uh i haven't started it yet good title i am very excited to read hillary clinton's memoir i think it will be fascinating. Um, And I'm really interested in, you know, what's she going to go into and what is she not going to talk about? And will she be diplomatic or will she be forthcoming with details about all sorts of things? But I'm very curious um, and excited to read that. And uh, the other big new release that I've been watching this week uh, is called The Book of Unknown Americans by Christina Henriquez. 
this is her second novel. Um, the first one, I think, was a successful debut, but this seems to really be a breakout. Uh, and here's the sentence from the synopsis that got me. A boy and girl who fall in love, two families whose hopes collide with destiny. An extraordinary novel that offers a resonant, a resonant new definition of what it means to be American. Uh, and it's about a couple that have lived uh, their whole lives in Mexico and then come to America mm. to pursue a dream. Uh, as many families do, it's a story that ties between the United States and Latin America. It's getting tons of praise. Yeah. Um, I really can't This has wait. been on my radar for several months, so yeah. I'm looking forward to reading that this summer uh, as well. And some big paperbacks just that we'll toss off mm -hmm. uh, by name this week. The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman is out in paperback. David Sedaris's latest collection uh, of short stories and essays and humor stuff, vignettes, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Dave Sedaris things. Yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, the, the I read things this that collection I was like, what do you call this piece? Uh, but it's called <laughs> Let's Explore Diabetes with Owls, and it is out in paperback this week. Uh, and also Cinnamon and Gunpowder by Eli Brown has hit in paperback. Uh, and that was one that we recommended on the Gifts for Mom dads and grads show several weeks back that has like a redheaded pirate and a cook uh and it's so it's like pirates and culinary stuff and swashbuckling and it just sounds awesome uh, so i'm looking forward to picking that one up since i haven't gotten to it yet summer those are the books, new books man we're getting new books for summer but also the paperback of last summer's book so it's right it's which a, is like this is a good happy cornucopia time. of uh, good stuff to read well, I guess that's our show for this week. Indeed. Uh, next week, we'll be back talking about whatever is going oh, on. Who yeah, knows? That's right. Next week, I will be on vacation. That's and, right. And um, our colleague, Amanda Nelson, who's going to start sitting in every few weeks, is going to be with you. Yeah. So we're going to have Amanda next time. Unfortunately, you guys will have to deal with me again next week. As always, if you've got a comment, a question, some feedback for us, you can email us at podcast at bookwrite.com. You can find the show notes for this show and the back catalog of all our episodes uh, at bookwrite.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Reading Ape. She is at Rebecca Shinsky. And you spell her last name S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, we would more than welcome that. You can subscribe to The Riot Read at bookriot.com slash Riot Read and let us send you a new book every month. And as always, you can read about all the stuff we're writing in our bevy of beautiful and smart and thoughtful and um, generous funny. and witty, funny contributors at bookriot.com. So thank you guys so much for listening. And Rebecca, we will talk to you in a couple weeks. Have a yeah, great vacation. Have a good one. Bye.